All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. New series called, When the Church is a Mess. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the truths about what happens to us uh, when you save us. God, thank you for those eternal realities of, of being a saint, of being sanctified, of being your child, of being in your grace. Thank you, Father, that you've given us everything that we need to live the Christian life. And thank you, Father, that you're going to sustain us all the way to the end. God, we praise you for those incredible things. Uh, Lord, there are times where, God, our life is a mess. God, there's times where it feels like our family's a mess. Uh, Lord, there's times where it feels like our church is a mess. But Lord, I thank you that, that you are a God who is, is working to clean all of that up and uh, to bring us guiltless before your throne someday. Father, please do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the interesting things about uh, 1 Corinthians, let me give you a little background first. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Corinth, which is a city. Okay, so you've got a city called Corinth. The Apostle Paul comes through there, preaches the gospel. Some people get saved. They kind of join together, form together in a church. Uh, they begin to grow. The church begins to grow. Other people share their faith. Paul leaves, goes to some other places where he is doing the same thing. And then from time to time, he writes letters back to the church. Okay, He hears about what's happening. hears about their progress. hears about their problems. And so he writes letters back to the church. And so 1 Corinthians is one of those letters from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, okay? Now, the really surprising thing about this is what Paul says to begin this letter, okay? To, to begin this letter, in verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you, okay? That's a big statement, all right? I don't know if there's anything in your life that you always give thanks for. In other words, every time you think of it, you, you, you thank the Lord. Every time you think of this person in your life, you just thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that person. Thank you for them in my life. Thank you for what you're doing in them. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody like that in your life, but for Paul... Every time he thought of the church in Corinth, every time he thought of those believers, those Christians there, he would give thanks to God. Now, the, the, the thing that really grabs me about that is this church is a mess, okay? It's a mess. I'm surprised that every time Paul thinks about it, he doesn't pull out his hair, okay? Because it's a disaster, really. If you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians, and, and for the next six months or so, we're going to be here, so you're going you're gonna to be going piece by piece through it. This church has tons 
tons of problems, okay? Right away in the next verse, in verse 10, we find out there's all kinds of divisions in the church. There's a little pocket of people over here, and they don't like this, these people over here. And there's another pocket of people over here. They identify with this leader, and this pocket identifies with this leader. And there's all this us and them. You ever heard people talk about that? Well, they don't like so-and-so, you know. Well, they think this. Who's they? Well, they don't even know who they is. You know, it's just this, this pocket of people, you know. They've got all that going on. There's strife, and there's jealousy, and there's conflict. There's people in this church that are trying to undermine Paul. They're, they're just talking trash about Paul continually. He's got to defend his own apostleship because he's being attacked by some people in the church in Corinth. As far as immorality, these guys are horrible, okay? There's a guy in, in 1 Corinthians 5 we're going to read about who is living in a sexual relationship with his stepmom, okay? I don't care what state you're from. That's bad, all right? I mean, that's, that's horrible. I don't care what coming. I, I can't imagine any people group anywhere thinking that's okay. And, and the church is not doing anything about it, okay? In chapter 6, you've got believers suing other believers. I mean, can you imagine that? You know, me and Winnie in small claims court just yelling at each other and hollering over 50 bucks, you know, and we can't settle our agreement. We got to go before the judge. I mean, that's embarrassing for a church not to be able to work out their differences and, and agree with one another and be giving to one another. In, in chapter 11, there's abuses of the Lord's Supper. They're having, they're having the Lord's Supper. They're having these fellowship dinners. Some people are getting drunk. Other people have nothing to eat. God is so mad about that that, that he says, some of you are dead. Some of you are going to die because I'm going to take you out because of this thing here. You know, in chapter 14, there's this abuse of, of speaking in tongues. Their church worship services are so chaotic that they're more like a circus than they are a worship service. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 23, Paul says, man, if an unbeliever comes into your church, they're going to think you guys are nuts. I mean, they're going to think you're crazy. That, that, that's what Paul says. Things have gotten so bad in this church. It's just an absolute mess. And so you know what's surprising? What's surprising is that Paul doesn't start this letter just writing them off, you know? I mean, Paul doesn't just be like, you guys are just a mess. I tell you, I, I, I just, I'm so frustrated with you. You haven't listened to anything I've said. You're not obeying the Bible. You're not following Jesus. I'm so angry. I mean, that, that would be the temptation wouldn't he? I mean, that's, that's really popular in our culture. There's a lot of church, you know, any church bashers in, in our culture? You know, there are people that they're always just picking on the church. You're always just pointing out all the, all the blemishes and all the, all the negative things. And, and man, it would have been real easy for Paul just to become one of those people. And it, it's hard for us sometimes not to become those people. You know, in general, I, I'm a guy who loves the church, uh, I, I just love the people of God. I mean, I, I really, I get up Sunday and it's a cool thing for me to get to see all of you guys. I, I, I love it. I, I just enjoy being with you. I enjoy seeing how you're doing. I enjoy seeing you. I, I mean, that, that's generally how I am. It was interesting though, this week I had a bad week and, and I, I just sat back. Paula can testify to this. I sat back in my chair and I, and I just laughed, you know, uh, uh, this week. And it was kind of one of those laughs where you couldn't tell if I was crying or laughing. And Paula's like, are you all right? You know, and, and, and it just, the irony of me preaching this message about the church being a mess, and I, and I know this is exaggerated. You ever, you ever exaggerate things in your own head, you know? And I did that this week, but it just seemed like it seemed like that everybody that I'd invested the last two years of my life in, you know, I'm not just talking, I'm, I'm talking about met with and prayed for and encouraged. It just seemed like a whole string of them came in my office and said, hey, pastor, I've just decided to jump back into sin. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump off the cliff, destroy my life and be miserable. You know, I mean, I was just, ugh. but it was exaggerated. It wasn't, you know, it was more than it really was. And sometimes we do that. But, 
But, but even I, even I got a little frustrated with the church sometimes. And, and I love the church. Well, well not Paul. Paul starts this letter to a church that's an absolute mess by saying, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. Now, why is, how is Paul able to do that? A couple things. First of all, Paul realizes and affirms a very important point about the church. It belongs to God. Look at verse 2. To the church of, what's that next word? It's not Bonnie, it's not Jason, it's not Pastor Chris, not Pastor Andrew. To the church of God. Friends, did you know that the church is the bride of Christ? I don't know if you've been to very many weddings, but when you go to a wedding, please, please, please do not go up to the groom and start tearing apart the bride, okay? Don't, don't, don't go up to the groom and say, I can't believe she wore that, you know. White, really? You know, I've heard stories, you know. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't go up and say, I mean, I can't believe she wore that dress, you know. Hey, where'd she get that, you know. That, that come from the dollar store. Don't do that. Do not do that. And please don't do that to the church, okay. Because you know why? It's the bride of Jesus. I don't care what you think about it. It's Jesus' bride. Jesus picked her. Did you know that? Jesus picked the church. Jesus called the church to himself. Jesus drew them to himself. Jesus sanctified them. Jesus Jesus joined the church to himself. And so it's God's church. And and sometimes it is a mess. Yes. Okay. We we don't have to hide that. Sometimes Christians are a mess. I I can tell you the reason why for that. We did did a scientific study the other day in the office. Uh, 100% of church members are sinners. We, we kept looking for that 1% that weren't, and we don't, we don't have them. Evidently, they're in another church. But 100% of ours are sinners, okay? Uh, they're sinners, and what that means is there are times, hopefully not very often, but there are times when they do not obey Jesus. There are times when they do not put to death their sin. There are times where they don't follow Christ. There are times where they blow it. And because of that, there are times when they're a mess, now, here's a real question that we got to figure out today. What, what do you do with a mess? What do you do with a mess? You know, if you'll think about your house, um, you, you'll realize that, that people handle a mess in a lot of different ways. Okay, just, just think about your house. Let's say that in your kitchen, someone, well, this happens in our kitchen, someone woke up and they were getting themselves some orange juice and evidently they only had one eye open still and it goes all over the floor, okay? So you got, you got a puddle of orange juice on the floor. Now, how do, how do people handle that? Well, you've got some people that just simply ignore the mess. You know how you can tell these people? You can tell by their footprints because they walk right through the orange juice and, and they track it on, you know, and they're kind of like, my socks are wet. How come, you know? And, and they're just oblivious to the mess. They just ignore it. They're not going to have any part of cleaning it up. They're not going to have any part of acknowledging it. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just walking right through the mess, okay? And you got people like that in the church, you know? There's, there's folks that their lives are in a mess, their family's in a mess, and they're just oblivious, you know? You got, you got men, unfortunately. Their family is just tanking. It's going in a mess, and they're just, they're just ESPN in it, you know? They're just completely ignoring the mess of sin in their lives, okay? So you got some people like that. You got some people who, who, who point out the mess and criticize and judge other people who are the messy, okay? We, we've got some of those in our family. I can't tell you how many times that one of our kids, they've got one finger pointing at the mess and one finger pointing at one of their siblings, you know? And, and they're, they're criticizing, you know? Look 
what Avery did. Hadn't you get back here and clean this? I mean, you know, they're, they're, just, they're just pointing out the mess. And you got people like that, don't you? You got people that just point out the sin in everybody else's life. That's all they do. The, uh, the only thing they're good for is directional. They're just, they're just pointers. That's all they are. You know, they're just pointing out the mess. You got some people who despair over the mess. In the kitchen, it's usually mom. Has ever happened in your guys' house, you know? Something just happens with mom, and she just snaps. Ever happened, you know? And she's just standing over the orange, she's just weeping, you know? <laughs> nobody cleans up anything. I'm trying them in time, and nobody ever listens to anything I say. It's just always, they just, nobody cares, you know? Just make this mess, you know? I mean, they just, they just, something happened, you know? We're trying to get mom to the doctor, you know? Get, get her some meds, you know? I mean, she just, she just, just despair over the mess. And you got people like that in the church, don't you, man? They're just, they just give up. They just want to quit, you know? Man, my small group's a mess, and we tried to discuss, and nobody would talk about anything. I'm just, I'm just going to despair and quit, you know? So you got people that despair over the mess. You got people, this is similar, but not quite the same. You got people who feel helpless over a mess, and they just decide to live with it, you know? They're just, they're just going to live with it, you know? It's just, well, we got orange juice on the floor. Hey, everybody, just walk around it. Just walk around it, you know? It's, on a, just, it's okay. It's all right, you know? We're just, we're just, we're, we know it's there, but we're just going to live with it. We're just gonna, okay? All of those are wrong ways of dealing with spiritual messes. Okay? I don't care how you do with your orange juice. Any of those will work for me. But, but spiritually, when you're talking about people, those are wrong ways to deal with your mess. So Paul knows, he looks at, he hears about the church at Corinth. He knows it's a mess. How does he begin? He begins by thanking God for the church at Corinth. How does Paul do that? Well, first of all, here's a, here's a cool thing. When Paul looks at the church, you know what he sees first and foremost? He sees Jesus. That's a great discipline to get in your life. I want to prove that to you. Everybody look back in your Bibles. We're going to go back over our verses here, and you're going to do some counting. Now, the other two services, I was worried about Fifth Street because they're not as participatory, but they did great, okay? Uh, first service did great, second service did great, so please don't let me down, all right? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to count out loud, and, and in both first and second services, we had people, Andrew, uh, Brother Andrew did it in the first service, who would do it on their fingers too, okay? Hold them up. Uh, I thought that was really good. It was a good visual, okay? So you can do that too if you want, but I want you to count out loud. What we are counting is is every time Paul mentions Jesus Christ, okay, in one of those forms. So Jesus or Christ, those two words, that's what we're counting. We're not counting like Jesus Christ is two, just, you know, that's one, okay? But every time he mentions Jesus Christ, all right? So as I read, you count out loud, okay? And I'll kind of give you an opportunity, I'll pause, all right? Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus very good. Oh, I knew it. You're doing great. And our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that's in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Amen. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Amen. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, nine times.
times, nine times. I was so afraid that when I did that, you know, someone would lose count and they'd miss a number and we'd come up with 12 in one service or whatever. You didn't. Everybody got nine. Nine times. In nine verses, Paul starts out this letter and he talks about Jesus. He mentions Jesus by personal name nine different times. We didn't count the number of times he talks about God, did we? Uh, and that's, that's a lot. Or Lord, okay? Uh, I mean, just the name Jesus Christ nine different times. And so it's very clear when Paul is thinking about the church, he's thinking about who? Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is in the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, lives in every born-again believer. And so as Paul looks at the church, he sees Christ. We need to learn the art of affirming, listen, affirming Jesus Christ and his work in other people. I've been reading this book by Sam Crabtree. It's called uh, Actually, I can't remember what it's called. It's called like the art of affirmation or the something, something affirmation. But anyway, it, it's, it's about learning to praise and encourage and affirm the work of God in people's lives. Okay? You see, it's one thing for me to say, man, Michelle, you just, you man, you play the piano really great and you sing really great. And man, you know, okay, that's one thing. Okay, and that's good. We, we want to encourage people. But, but see, Michelle could get the big head over that, you know? And, and that could actually be destructive in her life. You know what's a better thing to do with people? It is to affirm the work of God in them. You know, isn't it better for me to say, man, Pastor Chris, I tell you what, I, I saw how, how, you know, when that person was angry with you, I saw how you, you just really gave that over to the Lord and how the Holy Spirit worked through you to bring reconciliation. Who am I praising there? The Holy Spirit, right? I'm praising the work of the Holy Spirit through Pastor Chris, okay? That's what Paul is doing. You know, when, when, when Paul looks at the church at Corinth, he's able to say, wow, look at what Jesus has done. You see, he, he's not focusing on, man, what a mess, Okay? He's focusing on, first of all, look at what Jesus has done in this church. Look at, look at what Jesus has done in these people. Okay? And so the first thing he begins to look at is their position in Christ. Friends, there are some exciting things that happen in every born-again believer the moment of their conversion. Okay? The moment of their conversion, there are some incredible, exciting things that happen. In verse 4, Paul says, I thank God, I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, okay? So immediately, you know what Paul's, Paul's rejoicing over? That, that these people are saved. And what it means to be saved is that God has backed up his truck of grace into their life, and he has dumped it in, okay? They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't do anything to get it. In fact, they weren't even smart enough to want it. Okay, that's the truth about every sinner. We don't even want the good things of God. God just comes into our life and dumps his grace in our lives. He saves us by grace, okay? You're not saved by what you did. You're not saved by not being a mess, you know? You're saved by the grace of God, by God drawing you to himself. In verse two, it says to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. You know what the word sanctified means? It means to be set apart, okay? And, and so when God saves a person, what he does is he comes in and, and he sets them apart to himself. He joins them to his son, Jesus. He pulls them out of the world and joins them to Christ spiritually. Okay, they're sanctified in Christ. Notice verse two says they are called to be saints. Okay, you might've thought a saint is a person who lived their life perfectly and did everything right and then died for their faith and so we made him a saint. No, that, 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 that's not true according to scripture. You know what a saint is in the Bible? A saint is every born again believer. They are holy. Why? Because Jesus is holy and they're joined to Jesus. Therefore, they're a saint. 
And therefore, every believer could be called, can be called a saint. And so Paul is talking about who we are positionally in Jesus Christ. When a person is saved, God comes in and he joins them to Christ. He forgives their sin. He makes them righteous. Why? Because he's righteous. You see, they're joined to Jesus. And so because Jesus is righteous, they're righteous. Because Jesus is the son of God, they are a son of God. Because Jesus is holy, they are holy. Because Jesus has eternal life, they have eternal life. Because they're joined to Christ. And so even when your life's a mess, my friends, those things are still true, okay? Let's make this very practical, shall we? And here's where we, where we really gotta be careful because I don't want you to misunderstand what I say in this, okay? Because trying to grab onto this truth, apply it into everyday life. So just be careful with this, okay? Number one, let's ask ourselves this question. You take a born-again believer, okay? Born-again believer. They've, they've, they've come to the point in their life where they've understood the gospel. They've understood what Jesus did for them on the cross. They've put their faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit's come to live inside of them. Let's say two or three months later, they're having a rough time in their life. Kind of not reading their Bible like they should, not praying like they should, not in accountability like they should. And let's say something happens at work and they just lose it. I mean, they lose their temper. I'm not talking about they grit their teeth and think bad things. I'm talking about they raise their voice, they shout, they say things they shouldn't say. Man, they, they, just, lo- they just lose it. Okay, they, they just lose it. Okay, now let me ask you, is that person still a Christian? Now, see, some of you are going to answer that right away. And, you know, you, 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 but, but, but for some people, that's a real question. You, you know why? Because they, they lose it, they blow it, they, 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 do, they say these horrible things, and, and all of a sudden, what happens? Guilt comes upon them, right? Just, just presses down. The accuser of the brothers, and you call yourself a believer, you're not a believer, okay? Now, let me ask you the question, are they still a Christian? The answer to that question is, were they a Christian before, Okay? That, that's the, the answer to that question. If they weren't a Christian before, well, they're not a Christian now either, okay? okay. If they were a Christian before, then they were a Christian when they lost their temper, and they're a Christian after they lost their temper. You know why? Because being a Christian is not dependent upon my works. That's not how we become a Christian. We don't become a Christian by doing it right. You know, you know why? Because none of us do it right. Okay? We become a Christian by God pouring his grace, his unmerited favor and riches into our life, drawing us to himself, quickening us to life, and joining us to Jesus. That's how we become a Christian. And those things are true even when someone blows it. That make sense? Be careful. Be careful. You see, the Christian life is, is really this walking this narrow road, okay? And there's a ditch on either side. And, and every time you're tempted to fall in one ditch, you can fix that, but make sure you don't fall on the other side, okay? So what I'm, what I'm trying to correct, first of all, is this feeling, and, and, and I've met believers like this, that whenever they blow it, they begin to say, well, I don't even think I'm a Christian. I just might as well quit. I just, I'm not even going to go to church anymore because I, I just blew it so bad, and I, I must not be a Christian, Okay? You're a Christian based on what Jesus has done in your life, okay? So we don't want to fall in that ditch, okay? Now, some of you, as you try to steer back on the road, don't oversteer and go in the other ditch, okay? The other ditch is those folks who say, oh, yeah, I went to Falls Creek, went down front, prayed me a prayer. Now I can do whatever I want, you know? And, and by the way, don't you mess with me because, you know, I get angry quick, and if you make me angry, you're going to lose teeth every time, you know? Okay, that guy's got a spiritual problem, all right? That guy 
in my mind, needs to really take a hard look at his life. Because you know what the Bible also says? The Bible says that if you're a believer, you're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You're not going to stay in sin. You're not going to live there. You're not going to live habitually in sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality or thieves or the greedy or the drunkards or the revilers or the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verse 11 says, now such were some of you, okay, some of you were that, but you've been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So two ditches there, right? We don't want to fall in either one, okay? We don't want to be the people that every, t- every time we, we, we blow it, that we begin to say, well, I must not be a Christian because I'm the one that's doing this. I'm earning my, no, God saved you. And if you're saved, then you're saved, okay? But we don't want to fall in the other ditch and say, well, you know, a Christian, you just live however you want and God, God you're forgiven because, you know, God, God saved you. Well, no, if you don't bear the fruit of the Spirit, then there's real doubt about whether, whether God saved you at all, okay? So don't fall in either one of those ditches, okay? Hey, you know, Paul has a pretty good rule about this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 19, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy two nineteen, he says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Okay, that's a good, that's a, that's a good word, isn't it? The Lord knows those who are his. I don't know. I don't know. I can see your fruit. You can see my fruit, but I can't see your soul, okay? But the Lord can. The Lord knows those who are connected to him. Now, listen to what he says next. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord. What does it mean to name the name of the Lord? That means to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. God saved me. I'm trusting Christ. That's what it means to name the name of the Lord. Now, listen to what Paul says. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord. If you name the name of the Lord... Depart from iniquity. You need to be running from sin, okay? So, so he, he, here's how that plays out, okay? Paul's not gonna look at people's life and he's gonna say, well, Jeff, you messed up three times. I saw it. You're out, you know? You're not a Christian. Strike one, strike two, strike three, out, okay? Paul's not gonna say that. Paul's not gonna make that judgment. Paul's gonna say, Jeff, are you a follower of Jesus? And Jeff's gonna say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then Paul's gonna say, all right, buddy, I saw, I saw what's happening in your life. And, and listen, you need to take that to the cross. You need to go to the cross. You, you need to remember the gospel. You need to confess your sin. You need to embrace God's forgiveness. And then you need to stop sinning. You need to trust him to help you. And buddy, I'm gonna help you. That's what Paul would say. I'm gonna help you. Come to my Bible study on Wednesday night and, and let's meet for prayer on Tuesday. And I'm gonna match you up with an accountability partner at your work. And, and, and man, God's going to do this good thing in you. That's what Paul would say. You see, Paul would first of all rejoice in the position that Christians have in Jesus. Paul would say, wow, wow, you're in Christ. God's forgiven you. You're joined to Christ. And then second of all, Paul would say, all right, and now God has given us what we need not to live in sin. Notice that. Verse five, are you ready? This point number two, by the way. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. He tells him two things there. He says, man, God, Jesus has enriched you in speech and knowledge. You know about the gospel. God's revealed himself to you. You can speak truths about the gospel, okay? You have that. God's given you that. God's given you his word. Okay? And the second of all, God's given you spiritual gifts. Now, what does it mean to have spiritual gifts? Well, spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at more at this in, in chapter 12. The Holy Spirit working through one believer 
to strengthen the faith of another believer. Okay, that, that's, that's what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is when God works through Tyson to strengthen my faith. That, that's, what, that's what a spiritual gift is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is kind of the great passage on this. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, manifestation of the Spirit means the Spirit reveals himself or works through one believer to another believer. Could be through you sharing a verse with somebody. Could be through you praying for somebody, you rebuking somebody, you warning somebody, you encouraging somebody, you teaching somebody, you praying, whatever. You know, God's working through you to strengthen another believer. And here's what Paul says. Man, Paul says, I can rejoice over this church even though it's a mess, number one, because I know positionally you're in Jesus. I believe that many of you are saved. You're truly saved. And number two, I know that God's given you what you need to get out of this mess to stop sinning. You see, the, the church at Corinth, they had what they needed. They just weren't using it. Now, nobody's stepping in and telling this guy that's living with his stepmother, man, look, you need to stop this. That's, that's what Paul was upset about, was the church wasn't doing anything. They, they, they weren't doing anything in chapter six with these believers suing each other. They weren't being peacemakers. They, they were like people who, who were pointing at a mess and God give them a mop and they put the mop up on the shelf and they kept pointing. You know, they're, they're, they're not using their gifts. And so let me please tell you, folks, you have what you need to live the Christian life. Okay, amen? You have what you need. That's what Paul is, is saying here. He, he is saying that you, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You're not lacking in anything you need to live the Christian life. Guys, men, we talk to the men all the time at Lincoln Avenue. Men, you have everything you need to lead your family in Christ. Now, some of you are going to say, you don't know my wife. You don't know my wife. You know, whether for good or bad. You know what some of you are going to say? You don't know my wife, man. She's a spiritual giant. She memorized Leviticus yesterday, you know. How am, I, how am I to compete with that? How can I lead this lady, you know? Hey, let me tell you, the Bible is not false. God says he's given us everything we need to live the Christian life, okay? You got everything you need to, 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 to lead your family, to lead your kids. Second Peter chapter one. This is a verse we're going to be looking at in our small groups. So excited about small groups this semester. Start January 29th. It's called Progress It, okay? It's a curriculum we're writing in-house in, in, a, in, our, in our office, and basically it's the whole principle of helping each individual at Lincoln who goes to small groups, helping you to kind of assess where you're at spiritually, make some real goals, you know? Man, I want to grow in my prayer life. I want to grow in this way, in the scriptures, in whatever, and, and then assess that throughout this semester, and hopefully you'll take that, that assessment again in May, and you'll be able to see how you grew. You'll be, you'll be able to measure how you grew in your faith, how you grew in your Christian life in, in this next semester. And so that's kind of the, the whole theme of, of small groups. That's just a commercial for you there. Second Peter chapter 1, though, says, listen, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Did you hear that? God's power granted to us Everything for life and godliness. What does that mean? God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Look at the next verse, verse four. By which he has granted to us, granted he's given to us, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? That means God has given you what you need to become like Jesus. That is so cool. We don't lack any spiritual gift. John MacArthur had a great illustration he said, you know, it's just like every baby is born with what they need, right? You know, babies are born with what they need. Even, even before they can use it, they're born with what they need. You ever thought about that? You know, ba- babies aren't born with no arms. 
And then, you know, at nine months, boop, there they pop out. You know, now you need them. No, they're born with arms. Now, they can't do much with them at all, right? I mean, when they first come out, what do they do? Man, they, they crack themselves all the time with them. And then they look at you like, why'd you hit me, you know? And, and, and Emma's doing this fun thing. Um, last night, we started this. Um, at our family dinners, uh, we're going to look at, at one of the kids' baby books. And we're going to go all through it. Emma wrote down everything. You know, I mean, everything. She, I don't know how she remembers this stuff. She must have like been in labor and had a little notepad there. <laughs> Jason said this, you know. And I mean, she just wrote down everything, okay? And so, so all, we read all through Hannah's like first two years of life last night. And it was funny because she had the day that Hannah found her hands, you know. You ever, you ever feel that? You know, they, they've had their hands since birth, okay? But, you know, there comes a time where they like find them, you know. They're like all of a sudden, wow, you know. And at first, they don't know that they're doing it, you know? So it's like, huh, where'd it go? Ah, you know? And then pretty soon, they, they actually start being able to, like, put them where they want, you know? And the pretty soon, finally, you know, it's like, I can do that, you know? They can grab things. I remember Hannah would grab, she'd grab my beard. She'd just grab it. She's like, I got it, you know? And, but, but they can't do that right away because they have them, but they're not very good at them, okay? Same thing spiritual life. You got everything you need, Christian. You know, that's why it, it grates on me, but I'm not bitter, okay? I'm being like Paul, thankful. But, but it does frustrate me when I, when I have Christians who tell me, well, I just, I'm just not a prayer. You know, I just can't pray. I'm, I don't pray for people. What? You tell me that God's not given you what you need to live the Christian life? I think he has. You know, I think he has. He's given you that. He's given you everything. Now, you may not be very good at it. You may crack yourself in the head a couple times, you know? It's starting out. But you know what? God, God's given you what you need to live the Christian life. I hear this all the time. I can't memorize, Pastor. I the next person that tells me that, I'm going to carry a Sharpie. And I'm just going to open up their Bible. And I'm just going to start crossing out all these verses, you know? His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life. Oh, not for you, you know? Guess not. I got to pick on somebody. Fred Martin told me he couldn't memorize. Fred told me he couldn't memorize. And so uh, Fred and I have been having some verses that we memorize. Today, I'm leaving the first service. I'm walking out that door. As I'm walking out the door, Fred says something like, I don't remember what he said. Go get him, Pastor, something like that. He said, the, uh, the harvest is, is, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I walk out the door, and I'm already in the grass, and I realize he just quoted a Bible verse to me. He just quoted Matthew 9 to me. I come back in, I said, that's right, Fred, you memorized a verse, you know. You said you couldn't memorize, you liar, you know. But anyway, <laughs> he's got a verse. You know, most people have a bunch of verses, don't they? If, you're, if, if you know the gospel, maybe you don't have the reference, but ha have you... Can you say all people are sinners? Do you know that? Would you articulate that? You know what? Everybody's a sinner. You know what? Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. You know what? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You know what? Whoever puts their faith in him. You know, you know what you've done? You've memorized truths from the scripture, right? You've retained them in your mind. You're articulating them. Maybe you don't know the reference yet, but again, you're just, you're just learning to use your hands, okay? But, but God has given us everything that we need spiritually. God wants you to be a part clean up the mess. And he wants you to be a part of that. How, how, how do you handle the mess? You know, hopefully you're a person that says, man, number one, I know that God, God is deeply at work in my life and in my family's life and in my church's life. 
I know that he's set me apart, that he's called us to be saints, he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. All of that is true. I've got great confidence in, in, in regeneration in people. And hopefully you're going to say, you know what, I know God's given us everything we need. He's given us Bible teachers here. You know the cool thing about the church? God, we don't lack any spiritual gift. What we need, God brings us. Isn't that cool? If we need it, God's going to send it. If we need someone with a certain gift, God's going to bring them here. He's going to bring them from wherever. He's going to bring, he's going to put them here. Because we don't, we don't lack any spiritual gift. Last thing, man, God's going to finish this thing to the end. Look in, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse seven and eight. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the finish line right there. The revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the finish line. When Jesus comes back and he reveals himself, he shows himself. Okay, the Bible says we're gonna see him and when we see him, we're gonna be made like him. We're gonna be transformed. That's the finish line. But until then, it says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end? Man, that's, that's encouraging to me. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's gonna finish what he starts. Let, let me show you something about God. God finishes what he starts. Romans chapter eight, verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God, God, God's plan is to conform you to the image of Jesus, okay? And notice in verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me ask you, what's the finish line? The finish line's glory, right? Glorified, right? To be glorified with Christ. Well, you know what this says? This says that, that God's gonna take us the whole way. Predestined, called, justified, glorified, all the way to the end. Those whom he justify, he will glorify. Friends, God, God's gonna take care of the church. God's gonna take care of the church. He, he's gonna keep us believing. He's gonna keep us trusting. He's gonna keep us in faith. You know what's gonna happen? There's gonna be times you're gonna make a mess of your life. You know what? You're gonna be in that mess. And what you need to do is you need to look up and say, all right, I know what's true of me. I'm a born again believer. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm set apart as a saint. The Spirit of God dwells in me. That is true of me. And therefore, God has given me everything that I need. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to put my faith in Christ. I'm going to join with my brothers and sisters. I'm not going to pull away from the church. Man, I tell you what, when your life's a mess, what's your, what's your initial instinct? Man, I, I didn't say this in the other services. We've got to go back and do this all over again because this is good. What's your initial instinct? Your initial instinct is to hide your mess, isn't it? I mean, that's what everybody does. You know, they make a mess and they're like, Nothing here, nothing here. Put that over there. Nothing, no, no, no. We're doing fine. We're, yeah, our family's great. Man, we're serving the Lord. Kids are doing great. We want to hide our mess. You know what we ought to do? We ought to tactfully and wisely come to our brothers and sisters, people that God, our small group, a couple friends in the church. Say, man, look what I did. I'm in a mess. I need your help. Would you pray for me? I trust that God has, God has given what I need to, to fix this and to get this right because I don't want to sin anymore. Man, that's, that's what we got to do. And we got to have great confidence. Man, you should have confidence in your heart. God, what does it say? Who will sustain you to the end? Who will sustain you to the end? God's going to get me through this. Amen? God's going to get me through this. And I shouldn't doubt. You know why? Last verse, verse 9, then we're done. 
God is faithful. Let's say that together. God is faithful. What does that mean? He's reliable. He's dependable. He won't let you down. Okay, he's not going to abandon you. God, God is faithful. God's faithful. Let's trust him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, giving us everything that we need. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us, Lord, for pouring out your grace in our life. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the church, uh, giving us everything, every spiritual gift that we need to, to become like Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your promise to sustain us and stay with us and God, hold us up. Father, we love you, and, and God, we pray. Lord, we, we, we for, God, we say we're, we're thankful for the church, God. Every time we think of the church, God, we, we give thanks to you. Father, clean us up. In Jesus' name. Amen.